Good morning. Hey, what we're going to do this morning is a little different. It's already been somewhat different. What we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to just talk together some about where we're going as a church. We, uh, as elders and staff, have been praying over the last year plus, a little, actually a little longer than a year, about where God's taken us, where we're going from here. God has done uh, great things, wonderful things in this body, the lives of individuals and through some of the ministries here, and we worship Him for that. But we're also asking, Lord, where are you going? We want to follow you. And the first uh, thing that I think he did was he led us as leaders to be on our knees praying. We have been praying for ourselves, for righteousness, for each other, for you all, for our community, for our world. The starting place really has been a renewed engagement with prayer. That really involved with what's going on with you, with us, in prayer. And then he uh, started talking to us about who we are. You know, who are we? What's true of us here in Boise? Who is involved in this church? This last month on our staff retreat, we did a little exercise uh, to try to describe the typical person that's coming involved in this church. We created these two fictional characters, Cole Community Carl and Cole Community Carol. If your name is Carl or Carol, I apologize. We uh, are not talking about you any more than we're talking about the rest of us. We just needed a name that started with a C. Could have been uh, Calvin and Karina or uh, uh, Karen and... Uh, Karen's a K, sorry. <laughs> Another C name could have been Caleb, which, by the way, uh, congratulations again to uh, Rod and Kina on the birth of Caleb Thomas. I don't know if you all heard, Caleb Thomas was, was born, so way to go, guys. But anyway, we just needed a, a name with a C just to, to fit our, our uh, alliteration. But our, uh, what we tried to do was just describe who we are. And it started off real fun. We were just throwing out ideas and writing them on this big sheet and laughing about what we were throwing out. But as we went on, we began to see ourselves in this composite. It uh, was pretty sobering. Let me just share with you some of what uh, we came up with. Don, would you turn that overhead on? Somebody's wallet is on there. Is that supposed to be? Is it holding it down? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't cover well. Anyway. Cole Community Carl, let me just read what we came up with. Just listen. Carl loves his wife, wants to be a good husband, loves his 2.4 children, realizes that spiritual values are important, goes to this church here, wants values for his children, owns a house with all its demands for upkeep and yard work, drives a relatively new car, he's politically conservative, he's frustrated by the apparent degeneration of society, he's friendly. Works 60 hours plus a week. He's trying to be successful at work without too great a compromise of character. He tries to express love for his family by providing well. He's struggling with money, where it's all going, paying bills, giving good things to his family. He's frustrated by feeling his wife is his opponent rather than his partner in financial things. He's worried about retirement, college money, wedding money, but he's unable to do much to prepare, even though he knows he should. Carl's carrying significant debt. Now, before I go on, let's introduce Carol. 
Carol loves her husband, wants to be a great wife. She loves her 2.4 children. Realizes that spiritual values are important. Goes to church here, wants values for her children. Owns a house with all its demands for house cleaning, meal planning, yard work. Drives a relatively new minivan. She's politically conservative. She's frightened by the apparent degeneration of society. She is friendly. She's working 20 hours plus a week outside of the home, feels pulled apart by work demands and home needs, feels like she's carrying the weight of parenting responsibilities. She's running from one activity for the children to another, soccer, music parties, school events, feels like she isn't doing enough and compares unfavorably with other moms. She's spending hours each day with kids' homework. She's struggling with money, where it's all going, paying bills, giving good things to family. She's frustrated by her husband's challenges to her spending patterns for clothes and food and other necessities. She's carrying significant debt. The next sheet. Carl is joining the computer age. He is surfing the net. He owns a fax machine, an answering machine, a cellular phone. He watches about 12 to 20 hours of TV a week. He has no clue how to share his heart, even with his wife, but he knows he should. He's frustrated what feels like unending expectations from his wife, and he's given up on pleasing her. He wonders why his wife doesn't like sex. He's not spending enough time with the kids, but he knows he should do more. He's not shepherding the family, but he knows he should do more. He feels inadequate in comparison to others in the family realm. He has no close friends who really know his heart. He talks sports, business, recreation with his friends. He's socially passive. He's lonely. He's tired. And Carol. Carol couldn't care less about joining the computer age. She hates fax machines, pagers, answering machines, and cellular phones. She resents the TV in the evening, but has uh, maybe one show or maybe a soap she watches some. She's frustrated by her husband's unwillingness to share his heart. She wants to submit theoretically, but confuses pointing out his failures with supporting him. She's terrified by her husband's seeming indifference or inactivity on incredibly important family issues. She wonders why her husband doesn't pursue intimacy. She feels torn between all her responsibilities. If she's working, she feels guilty about it. If she's not, she wonders if the financial needs mean she should be working. She's trying to provide spiritual leadership to her family, but wishes her husband would. She feels inadequate in comparison to the other women in the family work hospitality realm. She has close friends, but shares mostly about Carl and why he frustrates her, or, or talks about other family or friends, rather than really looking at her, at her own heart. She fears criticism of her parenting or lifestyle choices by her Christian friends. She carries the weight of social life. She is lonely and tired. And the final page, Carl is plagued with shoulds. His back hurts or his stomach hurts. He often feels stuck in life. He lacks a feeling of centeredness, lacks a feeling of an integrated life. He doesn't feel forgiven with all of these demands on him. He's struggling with escapes which feel out of control, lust, pornography, TV, alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, hunting, cabin in the woods, just getting away, running away, selfishness. times he fantasizes about a better job, a better wife, a better life. Wears a mask at church. He doesn't uh, want people to know he's hurting, doesn't want to appear unsuccessful at life, a loser. 
lives in a split world, spiritual needs and the rest of life. Wonders why Christianity does not feel good. And then Carol, she's also plagued with all the shoulds. She's struggling with weight and appearance issues. She often feels stuck. She lacks a feeling of centeredness, lacks a feeling of an integrated life, doesn't feel forgiven, is struggling with escapes, chocolate, romantic novels, soaps, gossip of other people's lives. She seriously wonders at times if it's best to stay in this marriage. She's quietly desperate often. She wears a mask at church, doesn't want people to know she's hurting, doesn't want to appear unsuccessful at life a failure. She lives in a split world, spiritual needs and the rest of life. Wonders why Christianity does not feel good. But like I said, this isn't a description of any one of us, but at least to some degree, if we're honest, we saw pieces of ourselves in there. To some degree, I, you know, I, I didn't want this to be too negative. But like I said, as we got rolling and just sharing ideas, it, it started to get more and more honest. And, and this illustrates the, the pressures, the demands that we all feel, that we all face. To some degree, this is what we face in life. And our lives begin to show kind of the cracks and the fissures of, of this kind of stress. There are cracks in the walls of our life, and we try to paint over them, and it just isn't working too well. Well, let me uh, take a quick look at a passage of Scripture with you all this morning. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Let me just start by reading this. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, Jesus uses the picture of a house to illustrate our lives. And again, to be very honest with uh, ourselves, with each other, there are times when we fear that it's all going to crash down. And Jesus, right from the beginning, we, we need to see Jesus' heart here. Uh, he doesn't want our lives to crash. He wants our lives to be stable and solid. He doesn't want it, our lives to collapse due to just kind of ongoing decay or due to the, the crash of a flood. So what does he say is the key? Hearing his words and putting them into practice. That is, being a true disciple of his. Being a follower of his. Listening to him. Learning from him. Responding to him. Obeying him. Now, honestly, if you think about it, maybe not sitting here, but if you go home and think about this, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to, to hear that the way we're gonna, our lives are going to be solid is if we start obeying and, and, and following and listening? Uh, the first response is, how am I going to fit this into my already overly busy life? I mean, I want to do that stuff. 
But where does it squeeze in? I mean, here, here, here uh, we're maxed out in, in our, our commitments and our time. Here's all these Christian things we've got to do now. We've got to start spending time reading our Bible every day. Well, when am I going to do that? Are we, gonna, we need to spend time in prayer, spend time with the Lord every day. You think about your schedule. You think about reality. We're supposed to gather together with other believers and spend time in His Word together, spend time sharing our lives, sharing our experiences, sharing what we've been learning. We're to share our faith with others. And again, we have to ask, where does this fit in? Where do we find the time, the energy to do all this? We are tired. This just feels like another bunch of shoulds to dump on ourselves. More to the pile. Just another way to feel we don't measure up. Now the question that that leads me to, is Jesus really that unaware of your life, of my life? Is he really that unrealistic that he just wants to pile on more expectations? Just throw it on till we crush under the burden. Is that what he's doing? I don't think so. I honestly don't think he's that unrealistic. See, the passage that we just looked at is at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus has really been laying it on. He he has been talking about how huge righteousness is, how huge living life right really is. When we look at it and look at everything he says, it's overwhelming. He says it's not enough just to not murder. You can't hate either. And you can't express your anger in hurtful ways. It's not enough just not to commit adultery. There's no lusting allowed either. It's not enough not to just, fight, to just not fight with other people. You're to go out of your way to express love to those who are hurting you. And again, he just, the bar keeps getting raised on, on what right living really looks like. And even when we thought, maybe I'm about here. I'm pretty good. Jesus puts the bar up here and you think, why try? It's way over my head. I can't jump that high. There's no way I'm going to measure up. But is that what Jesus is wanting us to do? To just tighten our bootstraps? To try harder? No, we can't do it. It doesn't work. And the very last section before the passage I just read, the very last teaching of Jesus. He's talking to a group of people who were very, who were doing all these very high profile ministry stuff. These guys were, were talking about God and, and the word in very powerful ways. They were prophesying they were casting out demons. They were, they were doing miracles. Listen to what Jesus says. Depart from me. I never knew you. And these guys sounded like the all-stars of ministry. These guys were committed. These guys were doing it all. They were tough. They were out there. They were, they were teaching the Sunday school classes. They were leading the growth groups. They were organizing prayer meetings. They were uh, sharing the gospel with anything that moved. And yet somehow they missed it. That wasn't it. Jesus doesn't commend them. He says, take a hike. And that's overwhelming. I mean, these were the guys that, that, that I would look like and look to and say, that's, that's what I should be doing. And they don't measure up. How do I measure up? But you see, what had they missed? 
What did Jesus say? I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. You've been playing a game here. You see, what they missed is they didn't know Jesus personally, intimately. You see, that's what's going on. And Jesus, in explaining to them what right living is, what righteousness really is, was not hoping that they would just try harder, get tougher, do more. Jesus, in showing them how big the issue is, wanted them to face themselves and come to him because they couldn't do it on their own. See, what he wants is them to finally be honest with themselves. Jesus wanted us to face ourselves. See, they couldn't do it. We can't do it all. We can't. We can't do it all any more than Carl and Carol can. Because it gets overwhelming. And when we face it honestly, we have to recognize that. What Jesus is wanting for them is not to just add a greater burden to their shoulders. He's wanting them to realize that they couldn't do it. He's wanting us to realize that we can't do it. And coming to Him. And when we come to Him, we discover that He really does understand. He knows our feelings of being overwhelmed. He knows our fears that are eating into our ability to, to perform. He knows our, 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 the things that have a grip on us, our habits. He knows the, 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 the confusions that we feel. He knows all of our feelings. He understands and He loves us and He accepts us. When we come to Him, we find that acceptance, that understanding. And we begin to trust Him. We realize that He died on the cross to give us life. Not to put burden on us, but to give us life, abundant life. Not by our own striving, but by trusting Him. The purpose of looking at life honestly is so that we will, sometimes because we have to, because there's no place else to go, sometimes out of desperation, but we will turn to Him and let Him love us. But doesn't that just leave our lives uh, still overwhelmed and out of control? Jesus loves us and that feels good. So we just feel a little better while our lives are falling apart. Is that all there is? Is that what's going on? No, not at all. Not even almost. You see, when we come to Him... We experience His forgiveness for our sin, for our sinfulness, for our tendency to resist Him, for our inadequacies, for our weaknesses, for our fears. We are forgiven. He doesn't hold them against us. And we begin to trust Him. And when we trust Him, we can listen to what He has to say. We listen and we think about it. We don't react to it in fear. We listen to Him and we think about it. And we interact with Him because we trust Him. And having, when we start to listen, we begin to believe Him. We believe Him more than we believe those feelings. We believe Him more than we believe our own thoughts. And when we believe Him, we then can obey Him. And our lives start to change. Little by little, He changes 
our lives. We obey Him in very practical ways. And little by little, He reorganizes our lives. We see life more and more from His perspective, and it makes sense. Depending on Him, He makes the changes in our lives that we cannot make for ourselves. You see, as we come to Him, experience His forgiveness for our sins, for our weakness, for our inadequacy. We know that He loves us, and we begin to rely on Him, listening to Him and obeying Him. And as we do, we see Him bring about changes in our lives. We are empowered to love our wives differently. Like Carl, who doesn't have a clue how to share his heart with his wife, but he knows he should, we start learning how to share our hearts with our wives. Now, does that come easily? Absolutely not. That is terrifying. That is painful. It's often humiliating to, to express my fears, to be honest about really what's going inside of me, on inside of me. That is hard, hard work. Because I trust Jesus. And He's leading me there. He's given me the courage to step out, not knowing how it's going to end, not knowing where it's going to go, but to trust Him and step out. Because I trust Him. It changes the way we look at the priorities we have for our children. It changes the way we look at our jobs, and our, our, our uh, friendships. It changes the way we look at everything, all of our activities. You see, a relationship with God, knowing Him, is not just one more activity to pile on an already crowded life. It changes the way we look at it. It changes the way we do every activity of our lives. Again. He comes in and He changes us. He does things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Now, does knowing our Lord's grace and His love, depending on Him, mean that these changes come easily? I wish. Yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes God changes things in our lives almost effortlessly. And it's such a delight. It's fun. You see it. You say, thank you, God. But often it doesn't come without effort. Often it doesn't come without struggle, some pain, some process. Coming to God with a broken heart saying, I don't understand. I don't know where this is going, but it scares me. See, and just like on the Sermon on the Mount, as God opens our eyes to, to what loving people really is, we just go, I'll never be there. I can never do that. And it feels overwhelming. And we're, we're confronted with our own weakness. We're confronted with our own sinfulness. And we don't want to face it. We don't want to admit it. The reason we don't is because we're afraid that if we admit how weak, inadequate, sinful we are, God's going to realize it and say, Boy, did I make a mistake loving this guy. Forgetting. He doesn't measure up. That's what we're afraid of. But that's not going to happen. He understands. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And He loves us. And even when we finally admit how weak, sinful, inadequate we are, the battle's not over. The struggle isn't over because in making the changes that He's given us a desire for, we realize now I've got to give up some things that I really don't want to give up. I've got to turn away from some broken cisterns that David talked about last week where I've been finding little glimpses of peace, little glimpses of what felt like life, but discovering there is no life there. But it's still giving them up is terrifying. It's hard. So we struggle again, even when we know 
our need to give these things up. Jesus keeps showing us reality and we keep wanting our fantasies to be true, trying to hold on to them. He starts offering changes and we fearfully resist. Again, it's a matter of faith, not performance. It's a matter of trust. That's what it comes back to. As an aside, let me just tell you where I think the greatest struggle for us as believers really is. I think the greatest struggle is to realize that all of our activity, all of our busyness, all of our living under the gun, under pressure, really boils down to our fear of being quiet and still listening to God. Admitting that, facing that, being honest with that is the biggest struggle of our walk. That really, we are scared to our toes. That if I really listen to God, not if I don't, it's not listening to somebody like, like me talking about God, but if I really listen to God, I'm not going to hear His love. I'm going to hear His irritation, His disappointment, His demands that I do some, some things I'm not doing or stop doing things I'm doing. We are scared to death of being disappointed like that. Our Heavenly Father won't wrap His arms around us and just love us. And that scares us. So we fill our lives with franticness. I'm saying we, not in an editorial way, I'm saying we in a very personal way. As I struggle just to sit quietly with God, I run like crazy. I have to come back over and over and say, that's not true. He loves me. And sit and listen to Him again. The ultimate issue of trust and obedience revolves around the struggle just to be still with God. Spend some time with Him every day. So when it comes to real changes in our life, that's where the real challenges to faith come in. That's where the real struggle comes. Do we trust Him enough to listen to Him? Do we trust Him enough to obey Him? And when we don't, we have to recognize it's not an issue of performance. He loves me no matter how poorly or how well I perform. It's an issue of trust. And i got to go back and say, what's keeping me from trusting Him? What's in the way from me listening to Him? Often that effort to struggle or to, to obey, to listen and to obey is the greatest, the hardest, the most strenuous struggles of our lives. That is hard work. Painful work. Deep work. But that's where the payoff is. Now what's the payoff? Is it an easy life? No. That's not what we're promised. The payoff is we really come to know Him. As we trust Him in the face of our fears and our habits and our confusion, our powerful feelings causing us to want to run like crazy, as we trust Him and obey Him, we see Him come through in our lives. We see Him express His love and His goodness in ways we couldn't have imagined. We see Him do things in us and through us and for us that knock our socks off. And we worship Him. And we come to know Him all the better. And our hearts are emboldened to trust Him again. Again, it doesn't take the struggle away. Because the next thing He asks us to face into, sometimes is harder. It's, it's another step up. 
another step in. But we've got to know Him that much better. Come to understand Him. See, in short, that's the goal. To know Him. That's the target. That's what we're after in life. Because that's what life is. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So let me uh, put all this in simple form. We're talking about being disciples of Jesus. And what does the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus look, look like? Well, by God's grace, dependence on His Spirit, Moving to trust Jesus so that we obey Him and really come to know Him. That's kind of the the, the simple form of what we're talking about. Now, what does this have to do with where we're going as a church? Well, through our study of Scripture, through our conversation, our discussion with each other, through our prayer, through our, 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 our time of really thinking it through, we believe that our Lord is leading us as a church to do exactly what He did on this earth. Make disciples. Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus brackets what he says here with his authority. He's been given all authority and with his presence. He will never leave us. And the process of becoming a disciple isn't something he says, okay, you go out there and become a disciple. No, the process of becoming a disciple is walking with him, is being engaged with him, is coming back over and over and working this out with him in his presence, by his authority. And the process of making disciples is done by his presence, by his authority. He is doing it through us. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our missionary mandate. And really, we are to have a a global, a worldwide vision and goal. But it's not only what we do over there. It's what we do right here. It's what we do here, there, everywhere. Make disciples. And Jesus broke that into two parts. First, baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is, leading them Moving them to trust Jesus for that very first time. To trust what He did on the cross. And to obey Him by approaching God through that sacrifice. And to really come to know Him for the first time. And then secondly, He says, And teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. That's the second part. We... Call are to be about making disciples. We've defined the process of disciple making as by God's grace and depending on His Spirit, moving people to trust Jesus so they obey Him and come to know Him. I'm hoping you're going to see that everywhere. Look on the front of your bulletin. It, it ought to be there. We're starting to try to make that little phrase show up 
everywhere, moving people to trust Jesus so they obey Him and come to know Him. Because that's what we want to be about. Our goal is to move people. We're going to turn that next overhead on. Our goal is to move people from wherever they are spiritually. Wherever they are on the spectrum, whether it's from, from never having made that initial step of trust, obeying by receiving what Jesus has done for them and coming to know Him, to the person who's been walking with Jesus for 70 years. Everyone, moving everyone, no matter where they are on the spectrum, to trust Jesus. See, that's the goal. Faith is key. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Obedience apart from faith, obedience that comes out of fear or out of a desire, a drive to try to get God to accept us, that's deadly. It'll kill us. It'll choke us. It'll overwhelm us. It'll force us to be fakers, to put on masks, to pretend, to be hypocrites. See, we're looking for faith. We're moving Toward faith. Faith is what we want to move people toward. Trusting Jesus is what we are moving people toward. And this is done. We move people toward faith by teaching His Word, helping them see in His Word who Jesus really is, and through Him who the Father really is, so that people can put their trust in Him, in His grace, in His character, in His ability. See, grace is key. And seeing his character is for what it is, a loving God. So again, we teach his word of grace, the word of his grace, as Paul refers to the scripture. And we share our experiences of his grace so that they obey him. So they obey him. The fruit of faith is obedience. If the obedience isn't there, the faith isn't there. James says, faith without works is dead. But again, we recognize that when the obedience isn't there, that's a call, that's an opportunity to stop and to come to Him and say, I can't, I need to understand what in me is keeping me. What in me is not trusting you. How am I not trusting you? Because the fruit of faith, of trust, will be obedience. But the, the, the call to obedience forces us into that process of running back to Him to learn, to listen, to discover. But obedience is essential. If, if we cut that out, we never run back. And if we cut that out, our lives continue to be filled with chaos and confusion and collapse. So we move again strongly, courageously into obedience. And we trust Him. We listen to Him. And we obey Him very practically in real life. See, we want people to have solid foundations. So again, we go back to the Word to to understand Jesus' instructions. We're talking about very practical, dependent, courageous obedience. And the result of that, when we trust Him enough to listen to Him and obey Him, is that we, again, see Him at work in our lives in ways we never could have. We see Him do things that we never expected. It knocks our socks off. Again, the goal is knowing Him. The goal is seeing Him more clearly. 
And this is the process that we're describing. Knowing Him, seeing Him at work in our lives, seeing, responding to His love by loving Him back, seeing His grace at work. The goal is intimacy with Him. The goal isn't a set of rules to live by. The goal is Him. The process is moving people to trust Jesus so they obey Him and come to know Him. And again, this is the process at every stage of spiritual life. From the new convert who's trusting Him for salvation to the leader who's trusting Him to use them, to use him or her to, to uh, lead, to shepherd people who are going through difficulty and confusion themselves. It's a, often a terrifying responsibility, a, a wonderful privilege, but depending on Him, trusting Him and obeying Him so that we see Him act, see Him work. That's what we want every ministry of this church to be about. Moving people to trust Jesus so they obey Him and come to know Him. That's how we evaluate every ministry of this church. And that's what we want this body to be. A group of people with this vision who in their own lives are moving to trust Jesus. To obey Him so that that you really come to know Him. That's how we evaluate the priorities The activities of our life. Is this moving me to trust Jesus so that I obey Him? Is this empowering me to obey Him so that I can really know Him, see Him at work in my life? And this becomes our goal in every relationship. In loving our wives, those that are husbands, fathers, loving our wives then becomes focused on moving her, by loving her, by serving her, by giving my life for her. Moving her to trust Jesus. Not to perform like I want her to perform, but to trust Jesus. So that she obeys Him and really comes to know Him. And becomes the woman He has in mind for her. And then loving your husband, the goal no longer is to get him to do what you think, what you think he should be doing. The goal is To move Him by your love, by your support, by your honesty. To trust Jesus. He loves Him. Jesus loves Him. And He may not know that. Not deeply. To to trust Jesus so that He obeys Him. And really comes to know Him. In parenting, we uh, love our children. We pay attention to their education and their their activities. And and we want them to be involved in in sports and and music and other things. Because we want to give them a lot of experience that will help them to grow into mature adults. But the heart of it is thinking through as parents. How do I move my children to trust Jesus themselves so that they will obey Him directly and they will come to know Him for themselves? Again, that's the way we look at our relationships in the, in the community, at work, in the neighborhood, no matter where somebody is, from an unbeliever to a maturing believer. How do I move them to trust Jesus? So they obey Him and come to know Him. In the body, that's what the gifts are for. Whether you've got speaking gifts or or, uh, um, serving gifts. Everything you say and do is revolved around this. That's our vision. That's our goal. To become a church of people who make disciples. And this is done by, by God's grace, His love, 
depending on His Spirit, led by His Spirit, moving people to trust Jesus so that they obey Him and come to know Him. Now, I was afraid of this. I used more time than I wanted to. Um, I get started talking and it's hard, hard for me to stop. But let me ask just real briefly, real quickly, if there's anybody who has a question about this or a response to this, that you're saying, wait a minute, what about this? Or something that you'd like to share. We're just going to take two, three minutes. If uh, you do grab a microphone, please say your name first. But uh, I know this has kind of sprung on you and, and uh, you may not. But is there anybody that has anything that they'd like to, to ask about what we're talking about or comment you'd like to make on it? Okay, next week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking a little bit more detail how we want to do this. This, uh, what my, my, my goal for this morning was just to kind of give you the picture. This is where we, we feel like God is leading us. This is where I think He's taking us. And next week we're going to talk a little more detail about how. And we'll have, we'll have more opportunity, and I'm sure you'll have more questions and uh, thoughts about, about how we're going to go about this. But again, we feel like God is calling us as a body, as individuals, to both become disciples of His and to make disciples by His Spirit, by His grace, to move ourselves and to move others to trusting Jesus. Again, faith is the heart. Faith is the key. Trusting Jesus so that we obey Him, that our lives aren't collapsing around our ears but we are living in obedience. And when we face the, the challenges of obedience, running back to Him in faith and trust. And when we obey because we believe Him, seeing Him do incredible things in our lives, in this church, in our ministries. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, know this is what You did on, on this earth. You made disciples. You called people to walk with You, to follow You. And You taught them Little by little, you showed them who you were, you showed them who you are, and they grew more and more to trust you. Oh, that's what we want to do. We want to walk with you, to trust you more and more, to obey you, to, to uh, sometimes do the hard, painful work of admitting our unrighteousness, the hard, painful work of giving up our broken cisterns. But, Lord, we know that it's you who gives us the courage, you who gives us the ability. And we come running back to you, not on our own strength, but by your grace, by your power. We want to obey you. We want to see you at work in this body, in our lives, in ways that cause us to worship, to wonder, to, to say you are the great, the wonderful God. And we bow down before you in praise and worship. So Lord, we uh, want to follow you and go in this direction. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.